You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Every time we get together, God wants to adjust us. Yeah? Our heart attitude every time we gather should be, Lord, change me. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Lord, reveal my heart to me. Lord, let me see where I need to grow and enlarge and adjust. And over the next five weeks, we are going to do a short series in the book of James. It's a cool picture, isn't it? I don't know what it means, but whatever it means to you, it, okay, that's how, that's how prophecy works. You have to, like, God has to um, speak to you through it. Well done, media people. Um, we're not going to have time to pick up on every single um, thought or theme or every point in James, because we're going to do a chapter a week. James is five chapters, we're going to do it in five weeks. So let me, I want to encourage you, as we take five weeks to, to, to work through James, to also read it and study it yourself, which is actually what we should do with anything. But especially when we're going to work through a book, it's kind of cool to get like some background and to spend the five weeks reading it, study, get some commentaries, get, you know, delve into it. Let's delve into it together. Um, that should be our heart whenever we hear something. I mean, you know, somebody, uh, Liam last week preached out of um, Judges and you kind of go, oh, maybe you've never read Judges. Go back and read Judges. There's some amazing stuff in there. You know, whenever there's a scripture that we're working through, it's great during the week to kind of delve into that and go, I want to know more. Because that's actually part of the way that God, God transforms us and, and, and shifts us and changes us. That as we sit under, with his word and we ask him to speak through it and we ask him to reveal who he is and reveal our heart, we're transformed. Lord, we just pray that over this five weeks, but this morning... Lord, that you would transform us. Lord, that we would not just be hearers, but we would respond to what you have to say, to what's in your word, to what you're speaking to us today. Let us see you in Jesus' name. Let me give you a real quick little bit of background on the book of James before we delve in. The book of James was written by James, the brother of Jesus, most commonly, it's most commonly believed, um, sometime in the early to mid 40s, not 1940s, the actual 40s. Um, so he's writing sometime between 7 to 12 years after Jesus' death. It's really close to actually after Jesus' death. Jesus, uh, Jesus, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. It says this in Acts 15. He was most likely writing to um, Jewish house churches outside of Palestine who were facing persecution at the time for their faith. Um, the churches gathered in various different houses. And when we say house churches, we think groups of five or ten. They're often, the church met in large houses of like, there was maybe up to 500 people that were gathered, like in courtyards and outside places. But, but some were small, some were large, doesn't really matter. That's who he's writing to. They're facing persecution for their faith. The book of James was written most likely before any of Paul's books that were in. It's most likely the first book um, like this that was written. So it's possible that it was written about the same time that Paul writes Galatians, um, but it's likely that it was written so early that James actually had no knowledge of any of Paul's um, writing. So he's not writing in response to anything Paul wrote. He's just writing. And it's more likely that actually some of Paul's writings are, are to clarify and bring, bring clarity to some of the stuff that James had written to the church. Um, it's often referred to, the book of James, as the Proverbs of the New Testament full of wisdom, because it's practical. It, it, it faithfully reminds us how we should live as followers of Christ. 
So let's jump into James. I am going, we're going to read all of chapter one, but I'm going to ask Elodie to come and read it for a change of voice. I was going to get Leanna to do it, but Leanna is out with the kids. She's not here. So lovely, Elodie. Oh, that's great. I like you. Chapter one. Sorry for all my scribbles. Can I interrupt really quickly? So I forgot something really important in the announcements. In fact, the most important thing is that we testify to what Jesus has done. And for the first time at church, we had them here on Wednesday, but Sonny is here today and he's in the parents' room. So clap quietly like that. But make sure you give Amy a big hug today and, and don't touch the baby. Don't put your germs on the baby. And Blake, yeah, obviously Blake, he's in here. And Bonnie and Eli and... Um, thank you, Billy. Sorry. Um, be, because we've spent weeks praying for them, if you don't know. So we're walking in a miracle. Why, okay. Why, why is it amazing? It's a miracle because... Okay, go. It's a miracle because he was born very prim um, and has been in hospital for quite a long time. And there was... Honestly, it looked like setback after setback, but God's made a way. And he's, you know, he's healed and he's, he's restored. And so it is, it's a massive celebration of God's faithfulness. James chapter 1. <laughs> Okay, I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to preach. <laughs> James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change." Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls." But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. 
For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Thank you. Let's give her a hand. Well done. It's a big chunk of scripture. The main focus of this chapter is that trials and testings produce more mature faith. Verse 2 to 4, count it all joy, my brothers, and you can add sisters in there as well, my sisters and brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I don't know about you, but if I can be honest, I find it difficult to count it joy when I face trials. Can we be real today as we read the scripture? Because we can, we can gloss over it and be like, oh yeah, count it all joy. I find it difficult to count it joy. That's why I need the Holy Spirit. That's why I need the Lord to transform me. I face times of lack. I face times of not getting paid. I face times of sickness. I face times of almost losing my wife and son. And, I, and to be honest, I found it hard to count those times as joy. But James isn't writing this only in theory. He's writing to people who are facing persecution. He's writing to people who are being excluded from society because of their faith, who weren't able to run their businesses anymore because they had actually walked away from the synagogue and were believing in Jesus. Other Jewish people wouldn't do business with them. They wouldn't interact with them. They had cut them off. Following Jesus didn't make their lives easier. It actually made it significantly harder. That's not what we hear from a lot of modern sort of Western preachers is follow Jesus and you're going to be blessed and joyful and, and there is blessing and there is joy and there is peace in him. But James is writing to people who following Jesus was a choice that they knew was going to make their life harder. Actually, most of the people in the New Testament knew and actually most of the people in the modern world who aren't in the West know that when they choose to follow Jesus, it's actually going to make their life significantly harder. We preach the wrong part, I think, or the wrong context of a lot of the gospel. We in the West need to hear that choosing to follow Jesus will actually make your life significantly harder, but significantly more beneficial, significantly more purposeful, and significantly more, um, more impactful. You find your purpose and your meaning and your impact in Jesus. It's into this context that James writes, count it all joy. Why? Because there's a maturity that only comes by being tested. Why do we test kids in school? Because you want to know what they've learned. You want to know what's actually stuck in there. And it makes, you, it makes you sort of figure it out and study and go back and go, do I really know this? The testing of your faith produces 
steadfastness. And the result is that we're made perfect and complete in Christ, lacking nothing. It says, blessed is a man or a woman who remains steadfast under trial, for then he is, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. James isn't writing about being perfect or complete or lacking in nothing in this natural life. See, often we read this and we go, oh, if, it, you know, if I face trial, then I'm going to be perfect, complete, and God's going to give me everything I want. Not what he's saying. The context is not now. He's talking about spiritual maturity. He's talking about a mature faith. And we'll see that as we work through the book of James. It's only when we face trial and testing that we know if we will look away from Jesus or if we'll press into him. Think about that. Because faith is not some funny mystical substance. Faith is the gaze of our souls. It's the unrelenting focus on Christ and who he is. And it's only when we're tested that we know, will we keep looking at Jesus or will we look away? Steadfastness is to be unwavering. Steadfastness is to continue in the same direction despite what I'm facing. I'm not going to turn away to the right or the left. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to continue unwavering. I'm not going to be up and down and in and out. And, and you know, one week I'm, I'm in and the next week I'm out. And the one week, you know, God is great. And the next week, I don't even know if God exists. There's a steadfastness that is born of the testing of our faith, mature faith. That's why we, why, and, I, and I like to use Mark and Louise as an example. And I pick on them and I apologize because often people say things like this, like, oh, if only I could have faith like Mark and Louise. You don't know what they've been through. Actually, to be honest, you probably don't know them very well unless you know them. Their faith where they walk right now, the steadfastness that you see is born of testing that has actually matured them so that when you see them, they look steady. There's a steadfastness in them. They're not up and down. Sometimes we share the up and down moments and we wrestle together. But if you know them, you know what they've been through that's produced who they are today. And some of us want to be like a Mark and Louise. We want to be in a place of maturity and walk in power, but we're not willing to go through the testing that produces the maturity. You got them real quiet. Mature faith is an unwavering focus and intimacy with Jesus. Steadfastness, continuing in the same direction. Some people are, can I say better Christians? And if you're on the podcast, I'm using quotation marks. You can't beat, you know. Uh, some people are better Christians when things are going well. They pray, they spend time with the Lord, they come to church, they live on mission. God's blessing me, praise the Lord. But when trial comes, they chuck a wobbly. Oh, this is not working for me. Uh, yeah, I tried the tithing, but my, uh, God's not blessing me. I don't know if I believe it. Is God even real? Why would he let this happen? God doesn't love me anymore. But the opposite is also true. Some people are better Christians in quotation marks when they're facing trials. Suddenly they're praying. Suddenly they're showing up to discipleship group. Suddenly they're calling every leader in the church saying, pray with me. And they get, you know, they're, they're pressing into God and they're reaching out to others and they're posting Bible verses on Facebook every day. And it's just like, it's like, where have you been? But steadfastness is unwavering. In the good and the bad, I keep moving forward toward Jesus. In the good and the bad, I keep trusting his character and his nature. It's not looking to my own strength or wisdom, but in the face of opposition, 
and trial and testing. I'm looking to him for his presence, for his solution, for his comfort, for his wisdom. That's why James writes, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, again, with eyes fixed upon Jesus, with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is, double mind, is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Wow. Take it easy, James. If you lack wisdom in how to respond or what to do in the face of trials, ask God in faith. What does that mean? Oh, yeah, okay, we're going to ask God in faith. What does it mean? Firstly, ask to ask, it means to ask God, if I'm going to ask him in faith, I have to be spending time with him. God is not my, my uh, cosmic vending machine that I come to when I want, like, you know, I want a word. I come to when I want a breakthrough. I come to, you know, oh, you know, so, sorry, God, I haven't seen you for three months, but I need you to, to bless me right now. I, like, I need a breakthrough. So I go and I kind of, you know, put my coin in the slot and hopefully a good thing comes out. No, no, God wants relationship. He wants intimacy with us. He wants to dwell with us. He's given us his presence. So firstly, it means I have to be spending time with him. It's from the place of intimacy. Ask God from the place of being focused on Jesus and believing that his ways are best. Because why would I ask God if I don't actually believe that his answer is going to be what's best for me? That his ways are going to be what's best for me. Otherwise, I'm asking God just to confirm what I've already decided to do. Ask God from the place of being focused on him, being in a place of intimacy with him. If I doubt who he is, if I doubt his character and his nature, if I doubt not that he will answer what I ask, but that his answer is what's best for me and my growth and my maturity and my relationship with him, then James says, I won't receive anything from the Lord and I'm double-minded and I'm stable in all my ways. It hurts, but it's an amazing truth. When we ask God for wisdom, for direction, do we trust that his answer is what's best for me and my growth and my maturity and my relationship with him. It's not just about God bless me. It's God, I want to dwell in intimacy with you. So that when, I, when testing, when hardship, when things don't go the way I want them to go, that my eyes stay firmly fixed upon you. And I don't feel like I'm distant from you because I know that you're here. That's what James is writing about. Oop, I just shut my notes off. Then James uses this really practical example to help highlight this. Verse 9 to 11, he says this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises in its scorching heat, and it withers the grass, and the flower fails, and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You might be thinking, what the heck does that have to do with trials and testing and mature faith? I'll tell you. I'll, I'll try. I'll do my best. It's a great example because of this. Both poverty and riches bring an enormous pressure on a person to focus on the world rather than Jesus. So he's writing to people who are being persecuted. Part of that persecution was that they weren't able to do business because the rest of the, 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 the Jewish people would exclude them. 
They said, well, you've left us. So part of their putting their faith in Jesus is also to have faith that he would provide. But for all of us, whether, whatever place we find ourselves in, it, whether it's poverty or it's riches, there's a pressure that comes from that to take our eyes off of Jesus and to focus on the world. And we know that faith is an unrelenting focus on Jesus, no matter what's going on around us. So anything that puts pressure on us to, to take our focus off of Jesus as our provider will either hinder or advance the growth and maturing of our faith, depending on how we deal with it. Because if we face that situation and we press through that and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our faith is going to grow and mature. But if we take our eyes off of Jesus and we begin to focus on the world and the world's ways, whether it's because we're wealthy or we're poor, it'll hinder our faith. There was a time many years ago, so don't stress, um, when we were first leading the church, that we didn't get paid for a couple of months. Mark can verify, because he was doing the finances all the way back then. Um, and maybe Hans as well. Um, and here's the thing. If you don't get paid for a couple of months, it's difficult. You ask some questions. Because there's bills, and there's mortgage, and there's all this stuff. Um, I had to reset my car loan. Like, start it again. It's one of the reasons I had the SS for so long, because I paid it off a couple of times, because I just had to restart. There's some things you have to do. But it made me question, here's the thing, are we actually called to this? It made me check my heart. Am I doing this for a paycheck, or am I doing it because God's called me to do this? It shouldn't have, it, it shouldn't have made me question that, but I, I, I want to be real with you. Because some of us face those same things, and you go, well, am I actually called to this? And sometimes when the things dry up, it's because you're actually not called to it. But for me, I was like, God, we're not getting paid. Am I doing this because it's a job or am I doing it because you've called me to it? And I was tempted to stop. I'm ashamed to say it. There was a, there was a time and Elodie and I sat and we're like, what do we do? But ultimately, it caused us to press into Jesus to solidify our calling. And we had to settle in our hearts that whether I never get another cent again, is this what I'm called to? And we said, yes. If I have to go get another job, this is what I'm called to. We're going to lead this team that leads the church because God's called us until he says no. Whether we ever get paid again, I mean, this is like a decade ago, more than that, maybe 15 years ago. But it solidified something for us. It settled it in our heart. It also made us dramatically change some of the things that we had in our life that, so that we weren't under the same sort of pressure again. But whether it's lack or abundance, it puts that pressure. That's what James is saying. So James exo exhorts, exalts, exhorts, that's the right word. James exhorts the poor to boast of the glory in their high status in Jesus. It's not about what you have. It's who you are in Christ. And in contrast, James exhorts the rich to boast in their humiliation what does he mean? By realizing that their wealth is temporary. It brings no advantage before God. And he says, by identifying with the poor in their affliction. If you have a lot, God doesn't see you any different. You don't get more status or power or influence by what you have. And if you have nothing, God doesn't see you as any different. In Christ, son, daughter, your identity is set in him. It's not in what we, it's not in the external things. James seems to be saying that the challenges of poverty and wealth 
maybe one of the greatest trials for Christians. And he echoes Jesus' warning in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve both God and money. He actually jumps into this a little bit in, in chapter two, and we'll unpack that next week. But the challenge or the question for us in whatever situation you find yourself in today, and I know, we all know, things are tight. Things, you know, it's different than it was a year ago or five years ago. We're all in different places. But no matter where you find yourself, whatever situation you're in, do you truly believe that God's your provider? Do you have faith that God provides? Because if you're facing lack, there's a very real temptation to try and make things happen, to do things in your own strength, to make a way. On the other side of the same coin, when you have plenty, there's a very real temptation to begin to look to ourselves, to our wisdom, to our effort as the means of provision rather than the Lord. If I just work a few more hours, if I just move to that other job, look at my, look at my wisdom, look at what I've done, it can all change. So how do we remain Steadfast. No way. Did you actually start that clock at 30? Hugo? You did? Oh my gosh. All right, I got three points. We'll do it in, we'll do it in 10 minutes, not in five. I'm taking a team leader privilege going for that. Woo! All right, one chapter. I knew one chapter in, in the, uh, a week is going to be hard. How do we remain steadfast and mature through trials? Or how do we stay faith-filled focused on Jesus, unwavering, drawing near to him no matter what we're facing and see our faith mature. Firstly, James says this. This is straight out of James chapter one. Don't give in to your own desires. Mm. Verse 13 and 15, let no one say he is tempted. Uh, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Oof. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. There's such a danger in being led or make, making decisions on our own desires. The world says, follow your heart. But the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart lies to you. Jesus says to crucify the flesh. Put it to death. Romans 8. I'm going to read a big, ch a big chunk of Romans. This is written well after James. Verse 5 to 17. It says, for those who live according to their flesh, our own desires, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. When we're giving in to our own desires, even when we go to God, we often are hearing what we want to hear. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Again, intimacy. His Spirit dwelling in us. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead to sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ, 
uh, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh. We are in debt not to our flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be also glorified with him. Sounds like what, what James is writing. Firstly, don't give in to your own desires. How do we keep maturing in faith? Don't give in to your own desires. Don't listen to the flesh. Put it to death. One of the things that I pray, let me give you just a really quick practical thing. If I'm asking God for wisdom, now this isn't, this isn't law, this isn't like a rote thing, but what I often pray when I come to the Lord, I say, God, God, would you speak into the situation? I pray, I silence the voice of myself and I silence the voice of the enemy. Lord, I wanna hear you. Would there be no distraction? Because often we want to silence the voice of the enemy, but we forget that our own desires lead us astray. So firstly, don't give in to your own desires. Put them to death and be filled with the Spirit. That's for some today. Secondly, how do we keep growing in faith? Do what the Bible says. Now this sounds like an echo of something we've been preaching and it keeps coming up, but God's obviously speaking it. Do what the Bible says. Verse 19 to 25, we read this. You know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of, uh, of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you struggle with anger, ask God to fill you with the Spirit and set you free. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word of God, the Word that goes into your heart, that's planted in your heart, that's a seed that bears fruit. That's the picture. Which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the Word... And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone who hears the word, and, uh, uh, so anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. It's like I've heard it, I read it, whatever, I forget it the moment I walk away. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. He's talking about the word of God. And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. On what? It's not about earning salvation, because he gets into that in chapter 3. About, it's about putting what we hear of his truth and his word and his ways into action. He will be blessed in his doing. There are so many people who have deceived themselves by hearing the word, reading the word, listening to preach after preach from the word, podcast after podcast, YouTube after YouTube, and not actually doing what the Bible says. Some of us need to stop listening to so many preachers and start putting some stuff into practice in our lives. Some of us need to stop just listening to podcasts and actually read the Bible ourselves and say, God, what are you saying to me? When you don't do what the Bible says, you're actually being rebellious and you're opening yourself up to deception. You deceive yourself. You're opening a door to deception when you read the word and you don't do it. When God shows you something and you go, ah, whatever, I don't need to do that. 
You're opening yourself up for deception. The Bible says you deceive yourself. Are you allowing the word to be implanted or to take root in your life and then respond to the truth and obedience so it bears fruit? Don't give in to your own desires. Be a doer of the word. Do what the Bible says. And my last point is this, because we're skipping over a few things, but don't let the world's culture determine how you live. You know, where's that? Well, he says this. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, We'll unpack this more in James chapter 3, this little bit about the tongue. Um, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Jesus says that you are in the world but not of it. Don't let the world's culture determine how you live. What you speak over yourself will either lead you into truth or will deceive your heart. Think about that. Don't let the culture of the world determine how you live. Keep yourself unstained from the world. In the face of trials and testing, that's the context we're in, don't get caught up in all the world's arguments and the things that they focus on. When will the next interest rate rise be? Will it go up? Will it go down? What's the thing? I guess I know there's realities to it, but don't get caught up in the world's wisdom. If you only did this, and if you do this, and if you change that, and if you withhold from here, and if you, if you do this, and you put all your money into, sell your house, put all your money into crypto, and you'll make a billion dollars, you'll probably lose it all. Don't go after the world's wisdom. You have to hear God. Don't get caught up in their arguments. There's so much to this point, but Liam actually did an amazing job last week unpacking a lot of the same truth of not getting caught up in the, the things that become idols in our lives. So I'm not going to go into that because we're out of time. Do the simple things is basically what he's saying. Do the simple things. Visit orphans and widows. Find the single moms in the church and bless them with a meal. Take them out. Take them out to a nice restaurant. Help the poor. Love the lost. You know, everything around us says when things are tight, withhold, store up, circle the wagons. And Jesus says, give, be generous, bless. Again, I know there's realities. You don't have to make a five-star meal for somebody. You know, you can have people over and just have rolls. That's pretty much all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Hospitality is not like I got to show off. It's actually just, you know what? This is what we have, but I'm willing to share it with you. What we have, we share. We, we love the lost. We bless the poor. If you have $5 in your wallet and you give it to someone who's on the street, then give it with Jesus' love. It doesn't have to be 100. If you have 100, give them 100. Love the lost. Share the love of Jesus. Stop for the one. He's like, don't do it the way the world says. Just keep it simple. Trials and testings. If we face if faced with our eyes fixed on Jesus and a trust in who he is and his ways, those trials and testings will produce a more mature faith, maturity as believers. But be careful not to give in to your own desires, to do what the Bible says, and to not let the world's culture determine how you live. Can we stand together? We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.